this was the identity that I was given from birth and with the best intentions given to me with love given to me to have a better life and it was it was a scam and it was based on a lie welcome to and then everything changed a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us i'm your host ronit plank Today, my guest is Limi Marie Bauer, who lives in Austria, but has roots in the U.S. and Brazil. She is currently working on a memoir about leaving the cult known as the Unification Church run by Sun Myung Moon and his family. Her writing and research focus on cult survival, culture, power dynamics, and the psychology of language learning. Welcome, Limi. Hi, thanks for having me. It's very good to have you here, and I'm eager to dive in. I actually watched the YouTube video of your I Got Out story, your hashtag Mm. I Got Out story, which was moving, and I'm curious a little bit about how that came to be and and when you wrote that piece and when you decided to put it up on YouTube. The organization I Got Out is is relatively new, and and it gained a lot of... um, popularity within the the group that the the group of ex movies that um that I belong to and mm-hmm. um, yes and I should interject that I was featured on I got out um on their oh. Instagram so I'm newly mm-hmm. familiar with them as well and am in touch with one of their founders mm. yeah and and so uh, there was somebody in the community suggested hey why don't we share our stories for this month and it, it was one of those times where you sit down. I don't, I don't know if you've had this experience where you sit down and you write a story and it just comes rolling out of you. And I think um, that's happened like once, yeah. <laughs> once to me. <laughs> this, well, this I mean, one of know, those times for me, and and um, and uh, and it almost felt like it, as soon as I finished and sent it off, it almost felt like a betrayal because it was like. Oh gosh, you know, th- this is the part that you don't say. You don't talk badly against this organization, even if you know that it's a terrible mm-hmm. thing. Um, mm-hmm. There's a loyalty that's uh, that is somehow still ingrained in me, and it really surprised me to to send that off and say, "This is so not what I want to belong to anymore." I got out of this, and mm-hmm. and yet to to share that, I was. Oh, I had a stomach ache and I was shaking. Sure. Well, haven't <laughs> but, you, have you noticed you that, that that is a theme amongst people you've connected with that, you know, actually telling the story mm-hmm. can be a little bit, um, I mean, can be so many different things, but must be very yeah. stressful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely um, seen in for, by those within, within the group as being negative or mm-hmm. um, right. Casting a, yeah, that, that, it's almost like your loyalty is more important than, than who you are. And so mm-hmm. um, when you speak out against it, then, uh, then all of that is brought up. And, and I would say that a lot of people experience that. I find one of the things that's fascinating to me about stories of people who got out of coercive uh, groups or high control groups and cults, mm-hmm. For me, this as I interview more and more adults about this, is this sense of when you knew, mm-hmm. when you first started to feel something was not right, and then what happened until you made a move to leave or to change. Because 
that's a really enormous uh, monumental aspect of your life to change. And Mm -hmm. it seems to me, though it hasn't happened to me personally, and I want to hear your experience, it seems like it would be incredibly disruptive and jarring and very, a very vulnerable time. Um, So can you, you were born into this Mm -hmm. may I call it I can call it a cult right yes Mm -hmm. yes so you were born into this cult um can you give just a little background about maybe in broad strokes how your parents met or got involved I think they Mm -hmm. had an arranged Mm -hmm. marriage right they did Mm -hmm. and so and um so for my for my parents they were they were looking for the next for their next steps the next big thing my father he he met the cult on the day that he arrived back from vietnam and um and he's he's from brazil and he became an american citizen while he was overseas and and um and then to come back as a citizen and you know as a veteran rebuilding your life and then here's this group offering world peace and it i think he when he told me the story the banner was find your true love and he thought okay that's mm. the that's the way to go for me i, I want a family and how, um, how long was he in vietnam for two and a half years and so you're saying that the church the cult was really set up right there in in areas where they would find veterans i i believe so i mean it was also so um, smart yeah exactly yeah <laughs> i mean they yeah. they're set up in every downtown location where you might find a lot of tourists and people and this was in what city in san francisco yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. okay go on please and for my mom she was big in the civil rights movement and had been working on um bobby kennedy's presidential campaign and she joined after his assassination the same year that martin luther king jr sorry martin luther king jr was assassinated as well Mm -hmm. and so for her it's like where is the leader you know, who will, mm-hmm. who will bring this nation back together, any nation. And, um, and Sun Myung Moon, who runs, uh, who ran the cult, he, um, he was promising really big things. He was promising world peace and through one way was through international marriage and, mm-hmm. and his matching ceremonies where you get matched to somebody who you have possibly an enemy nation and you can build world peace through you know, one relationship at a time. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, yeah, that was the, <laughs> and it's, it's funny because, it. the, you know, cults have been around forever. And, mm-hmm. but I mean, this, this was about what decade that your dad, this was in the seventies or yeah, the so late sixties, early seventies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we know so much more about cultic movements and things like that now once you start looking. But this would have been sort of toward the beginning of this whole time mm-hmm. period where cults and coercive groups were really on the rise. Would you say that's true? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like it's even easier to be gullible uh, or to believe, I, I shouldn't say gullible, but to believe that there is a possibility that what these church leaders are saying could happen. Yeah. And I think, you know, also... This organization especially has so many front groups and so many names that are associated with it that you can't even, you don't even know this is who you're talking to until you're well into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember speaking with Jen Kiaba, whose episode is going to yeah. air just a little bit before yours, and she mentioned that too. Mm-hmm. I had no idea about all the front groups. Can you name a few offhand just so listeners get a sense? Yeah, so um, they like to name the organizations similar to other 
popular or, or well-known organizations. And um, the ones that are running right now, the name is Family Federation for World Peace and Unification. That's the sort of religious branch. And then you have the Universal Peace Federation, which is also connected to the United Nations. And uh, they also own the Washington Times. They own UPI. That's really, um, they own it's unnerving to find <laughs> out, yeah. right? Because that means yeah. that there's a level of savvy there. Uh, yeah. They know yeah. it almost makes me feel like the organization understands that if people knew who they really were, mm-hmm. they wouldn't maybe engage as much. I, I Absolutely. Because, you know, you think you're joining a club or <laughs> the, the on campus one is called um, Collegiate Association for the Research of Principles. It sounds very, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Stuffy. Yes. Stuffy and organized. <laughs> exactly. Researching uh-huh. principles sounds decent. Doesn't sound like they'll be asking you to pick out a spouse for you anytime soon. You know, so. <laughs> um, I love the sense of humor that people who get out of cults have. Like, <laughs> is, you kind of have to be a little dark, I guess. I mean, okay, I, I realize that I've like really dug in deep here with the organization and we're not going to cover too much about the Unification okay. Church because in Jen Kiava's episode, we did cover that. So if anyone oh, listening good. is mm-hmm. interested in a little bit more of the tenets and, and what the Unification Church promised, they mm. can listen to that episode. Um, but this is the group that were known, you know, in slang as the Moonies, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. which which were featured in the movie from a long time ago, Airplane. So a lot oh, of yeah. people in America got that kind of idea. Um, so so you are the how many siblings do you have? I have two younger sisters. OK. And so you grew up in what city? Was it San Francisco? Uh, so I, I grew up in mostly in New York, in New York City, and then later on Long Island, but also in my early childhood between New York City, uh, where the the Moonies called owned, still owns now the New Yorker Hotel. So Mm -hmm. I lived there with my family in, um, and many families lived there, it was called the World Mission Department. And when I wasn't living with my parents, because they would go on mission, then I was in a nursery in Westchester County. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so did you do you recall any early memories of closeness with your family with your um, parents? I yes, but my my early childhood memory is really fuzzy. It's really mm-hmm. difficult to it's really difficult for me to parse which memories are truly mine and which are stories that have been told to me so often that they, they feel real and feel like memories. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel our family was, was really close knit between my mother and my sisters. We were like, um, I don't know, this girl power Amazonian kind of feel to it. And my dad was was always in and out of the picture, partly because of their arranged marriage, which was often strained, like their relationship was uh, very challenging for the two of them. And mm-hmm. so he, he found ways or they found ways to um, live separately. And mm-hmm. then they had they had standing in the community as as a married couple and as an older couple within the community. Um, and so they were get, given positions or, um, or missions as, uh, as they would call them. And, uh, and yet, yeah, we weren't, it, she was basically a single mom raising. Mm. raising and so kids. 
I know that feeling I think that you're talking about when you're with your parent, one of your parents, especially your mom, and you feel like it's you're with your sister and mm. or sisters and you're kind of this uninterrupted strength and blood bond yeah. and s- kind of single mind. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering at what point or did this happen at all, you felt that you were lacking something or something didn't feel good or nurturing. I mean, most children bump up against those times in their lives where things don't seem to be going their way and they can't get their way. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, did something occur to you at a certain age that felt like this is different from other kids or did you not have that perspective? Uh, No, I I knew it. And there was always this kind of feeling that we had this secret that we had to keep and, um, yeah, that we were not – it, it was built into this theology that mm-hmm. because Moon was coming as the second coming of Christ, then he will be persecuted, all his followers will be, and we should expect that. And so if we share who we are with other people, then they will come back at us with, um, yeah, at minimum negativity and mm-hmm. maximum death and prison and whatever. And so, um, and because Moon was imprisoned in in the early 80s when I was a child, then that just became such a, um, a reality. And so it was, it was always really difficult to challenge this idea because, because it was the religion that I was born into and brought mm-hmm. up in. So mm-hmm. faith and, and this particular explanation were completely linked in, mm-hmm. in my mother's mind and, and in the way that we were being raised. So, um, I consider myself a very spiritual person. I, I still pray and, um, and it's still, and now it's like, well, to whom, but <laughs> at the time it was, um, it was you, it, yeah, it was just completely linked. And so anytime I started to doubt this particular explanation, then mm-hmm. the argument will come, well, you know, we have to protect ourselves because this is in its early stages or well, you know, we are, um, we're just trying to, you, yeah, my mom, she would quote um, a line from Antigone, the Greek play, there's God Mm -hmm. and there are his priests and they are not the same. And so Mm -hmm. don't be bogged down by any particular thing that you're being challenged by because there's a bigger picture here. And Mm -hmm. that carried me for a really long time, all through my childhood, I would say. Mm -hmm. How did that um, suspicion or paranoia or protectiveness within your family and within the group for the outside world or of the outside Mm -hmm. world bring you closer together or sow seeds of doubt in you? Yeah, it's it's fascinating because it's it's a little bit of, um, right, us against them. And Mm -hmm. then we have... Which is by by design, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. also the sacred truth and this this other thing. We have have the the information that everybody needs. And that's also a cult tactic. Mm -hmm. But um, at the same time, what what was happening was because there was... uh, Because this cult has its own holidays and traditions and Korean culture and language is put at the center of it, then you, you almost get this nationalistic kind of um it, there's it's the culture that's built up and then you feel like 
when you meet other people who are members, we're all from the same culture, we're all from the same country, we've had the same experience. And so um, that was another way that, that we could very easily connect with each other and, and just kind of put us a step away from other people that we were meeting right. who, yeah, weren't using It was the like same a shorthand, right? Exactly. You're all from the same, yeah. the same tribe, basically. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then when did yeah. you start to feel uh, a little nervous, worried, or concerned about what lay ahead for you in terms of arranged marriages? Yeah. So that was, um, it because, because I watched my parents' marriage, which was rocky, and then eventually mm. when I was about 17, then they divorced. And, mm-hmm. and that was, that was really a time where I, I began to step away from, from regularly participating in church activities and, and rebelling in many ways. I started smoking and, um, just, yeah, drawing lines in the sand. And Mm -hmm. yet it was, (laughs) um, there, there was, uh, because I was in this, this nursery all through my early childhood. And then at 12, I went to, to a church school, uh, for a year and, um, and so many of these teachings were uh, this, I were so much a part of me and especially this idea mm-hmm. of if you don't marry in this way, then you will break God's heart. And mm-hmm. I took that really seriously cause I was a kid mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's a very, it's a very manipulative thing to do to a child. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. sorry. No, it's Okay. Take your time. Thanks. And so it was. Do you feel, do you feel, uh, is it, (laughs) do you feel the loss of that faith? Is it painful? The loss of that God or that spirituality? No, right now it's just anger. I think Mm -hmm. that it's, it's, um, yeah. Or if it's a, if it's a stage of grief, then it's an angry mm. stage. <laughs> and, um, well, because I mean, are you talking about that yeah. idea of being a child and not having a choice? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not realizing how much power that you have because you're a child, or or because you know if you uh, if you turn your back on this, then you lose your parents, or you lose your mm-hmm. your close friends, your community. And right, so and that also is by design. See, yeah, and I could see the the moon family i could see their children just being terrible people and i could see that you know mm-hmm. these we were called blessed children the children of these marriages and we were not better people than anybody else like, that was clear to me especially by the time i was 18 19 years old and so it it just felt like um but at the same time underneath it all there was i have to do this i have to go through this marriage process or um or yeah, I will let God down, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where yeah. it's it's really gets wound up. I think from what I understand, the God, 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 and then the leader mm-hmm. of the the organization or the cult, they're so wound up, especially yeah. because the leader is really inflated as the best conduit to God. Yeah, yeah. So there must be a lot of fear involved too. And and this yeah. is another point that I haven't touched on with you yet, which is your mom sounds like she was very smart. 
Mm-hmm. And she was a very, I mean, would you say she was feminist? Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so I think this is something a lot of people misunderstand. And I, too, have in the work I've done on the podcast, constantly have to remember that just because you think uh, logically about um, an issue doesn't mean that the person involved, uh, the person who fell for the cult or the person who fell, who became addicted, isn't a victim or isn't able to succumb to something like this. Mm-hmm. Here is your yeah. mom who seems really uh, motivated. She worked for the Kennedy campaign. She yeah. She's in this time in America where women are growing more powerful ostensibly, and yet she falls into this group. Yeah. Yeah, she was headed to law school, and she thought, you know what, this is a better way to serve the country. It's, so interesting, yeah. right? Do, do you ever, yeah. do you, have you come to grips with that or come to an understanding of how that happened to her? Um, a little bit, only only in just sort of getting to know how this how this happens to people, and, and also in watching my own process and trying to leave and then just get pulled back in and... Mm. Um, one thing Can that you it, talk a little bit about that, the, the yeah. process by which people do get intertwined? Because you mentioned that you, you've seen how people fall for it and get, in, get sucked up and stuff, but maybe that preceded your, your birth and everything, so maybe that's harder. Well, it did, but also, I mean, it, it was the same tactics were used on me as well. So it's like mm-hmm. this, um, you, get, you get inspired about some project or something that, that people are working on, and you get involved, and it's just a small thing and then um and and then you volunteer more time and and um and then you go off for a training and with this particular cult then the the trainings did have have coercive tactics that that really got into people's heads so um and they use that at the children's workshops too so when we were teenagers then they had the same kind of strategies and schedules to exhaust you so that you Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh you just go with the flow and and then a lot of these teachings even though they don't really make sense if you break them down um Mm -hmm. they seem to make sense when you're there and then yeah I was gonna ask you it's it's I think about these groups and I wonder how we'd all feel about them if they weren't coercing children and they weren't changing families' lives. Mm-hmm. If they were just a group of adults off somewhere doing something that, that weren't expecting to change the trajectories of families and generations and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if they weren't going to try to control who married whom, if, if it would be as, you know, troublesome. What, what's your thought about that? Um, just that there are so many other groups that are doing that. And it really... Mm-hmm. The, the charity run by a handful of people, you know, to do one specific thing. There was um, a friend of my of, of our family. She was a nurse, and she was in Haiti, and she was making midwife kits for midwives. And so, mm-hmm. um, and raising funds for that, and putting these kits together. And, and it was one simple thing, you know? And, and I think if, if people are really... And and I find those kind of things very inspiring because they're doing genuine good without getting anybody's family involved, without asking them to to take over their lives. It's mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. a small thing, and and um, and so what motivates somebody to keep going and asking for more and pushing for more and taking more power? I mean, if I think about this. Uh, the Moon family starting as farmers in North Korea and now having, you know, um, 
assets of a billion of a billion dollars and you're like how did you accumulate within one lifetime what what were you up to and and that's been built on the backs of of my family and all these other families and all these other people Mm -hmm. how many people do you estimate have been involved or are currently involved oh that's really difficult to say because um because this group has a revolving door and there's people Mm -hmm. who come in and out and they also still count you as a member even if you haven't been there in 10 years and so they Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. so then Limi when your marriage started to to loom on the horizon Mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about your age and what your thought process was and how you came to your decision yeah so um right there was this this ingrained belief that I need to to go through this process and and so that was one part of the motivation and then the other part was because I had spent a lot of time away from my family in my early childhood I just didn't have any sense of of self-worth so Mm -hmm. at 19 I make this decision (laughs) now Mm -hmm. now I'm in my 40s and I think 19 is super young so young Mm -hmm. (laughs) you just wait until you're you're in your late 40s like me and then you'll be like wow I'm still growing and learning so much (laughs) exactly I still feel like me I don't feel any any different at all and and so I I was in 19 I was just completely um uh full of this idea that I was going to die an old maid unless I do this. Every boy that I was interested in rejected me also because I kind of looked for, for that type of relationship. And I just felt like, like this was my only hope or, and also I had, I was a sophomore in college and I felt like if I don't do this now, then I'm never going to do it. And I feel mm. like I, I need to fulfill this obligation. Um, mm. and I don't really know. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I wish I could tell tell nineteen year old me you don't. <laughs> but um, but yeah, being being somebody's wife and having a family was also just really part of the way that I was raised. Like this is is something that you are going to do. And um, even though I had my mother and also my grandmother who was not part of the cult, um, hmm. saying get your education, you know, make sure that you can support yourself and at any, at any stage in your life. And, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, it was, it was a Thanksgiving weekend and, um, and the, the wedding ceremony was at RFK stadium (laughs) featured again at, at a football stadium. And, um, and the whole process is just, it's very, it's very chaotic and it doesn't, actually taken in account like these are actual people who are going Mm -hmm. through it we Mm -hmm. we were matched um, my husband and I were matched three weeks before even though we had applied months before um, we were matched just before and then we we only met three days before at you know in in DC at the just before this what was your impression when you first met him um well, I was terrified. And I was like, I mean, I mean most of us, it's, it's a little intriguing, right? Because <laughs> no. none of us, it's it's a little bit of, you know, it's, of course, really interesting to ask this question because I was never in this 
position. Yeah. I know you're okay now. Yeah. And so I'm so curious what it was like when you first met him and if you were relieved or even more worried. Yeah, I mean, so on on emotional level, I was like, it was almost like a vacuum had been opened and I'm like, okay, this is my person. You know, he's now in my heart. And and then uh, and then sort of practically and cynically looking at the situation, I was like, um, it it was 1997. So I got his picture and it was sent to me because I was up at college. It was sent to me. It was a copy and then faxed. And so <laughs> I when I very when I met him for the first time, I thought, oh, you don't look like your picture because it was a copy <laughs> of a fax. <laughs> so the features were slightly different. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And that was kind of all I could focus on. And um, yeah, and there was there was a all these activities that we needed to do at the same time. There was a workshop that we had to participate in and the ceremony itself was a really, um, it was a, a whole day event and, uh, and the wedding was just, it was just a side attraction in this mm. world sports and cultural festival where they had conferences and sports events and, um, a concert and, and a mass wedding. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. Yeah. And so did you begin living together right away? No, because um, because I was still in college and he, uh, as an Austrian, he had to do a year of military service. So mm. um, he went to the military and I was finishing school and then he decided to go uh, and study in Korea for a year and then work somewhere and um, all while I was finishing up college. And by the time we got to the... By the time I was graduating, our relationship was was not going well at all, and we were yeah. we were pretty much done because because we are from different countries, and I didn't speak hardly any German. I could say, you know, guten Tag. Yeah, <laughs> his German was, and his English was uh, sorry, his English he'd learned in school, so it was just survival, whatever you uh-huh. needed to pass a test, and then and then you had no time yeah. together, did you? No, I mean, had you? What was really. the longest you'd been in the same place together? Uh, three weeks over a summer yeah. break, and mm-hmm. and so all the rest was communicating phone or email, mostly email, and. Um, and I'm an English major at that point, and so I'm writing these, these letters. <laughs> <laughs> and he's writing these very short messages. And <laughs> did you uh, see? Did you see the distance yeah. at that point as a blessing, or were you thinking, "Oh, well, this isn't going to work out, so I'm out of this"? Yeah, I, I, I saw it as a curse. I was like, "This is because I really wanted to." I wanted to make it work. And when we were in the same place and we get on like a house on fire, like we really have fun together. And so, um, yeah, it was, uh, and, and we were just young and I, and I don't know, I think, I think anybody who's in a long distance relationship can, can think, wow, how do you even build one? You know, right. (laughs) Not in the same, not in the same country. And we also had, we had different upbringings within the cult where we had different priorities about things. And so, um, yeah, that, that was. That so was then how did you end up staying together? Well, we broke up and, um, and then I went back home after college. And when I was at home, there was an enormous amount of pressure from my family and especially my mom to re reconcile this relationship and reconsider it. And, I had, uh, I couldn't find a job, and so, or, 
again, you know, really young. You don't know how long it takes to look for a job. So I was pretty discouraged after a couple months. And and then this job opportunity opened up within the cult, within a, uh, it was a publishing company they have for character education materials, which is another front group. It was called the <laughs> International Educational Foundation. And they made character education materials and and Mm -hmm. when I started working there then the other people who were all members they're like where's your husband where's your husband and within a month I was looking up where is my husband and (laughs) (laughs) was he still was he like was he into you at that point (laughs) I mean because I don't yeah (laughs) it's hard to say because we just (laughs) well it's just so interesting yeah because it seems so interesting to me this is the part that kind of confuses me it's Mm. just um, something to note is that you seem you know you you had this freedom that you could go to college and get your degree and your education and he was doing his thing and yet there is this old-fashioned expectation about arranged marriage so it's not like you were you know, were asked to just be in the house and pregnant or something like that. It sounds like they wanted you to be productive enough community members to give back to the community or to be able to have jobs, right? But it all has to do with the with the ideology that was being taught because it's Mm -hmm. like um, the reason why there needs to be a messiah so you can have God's family. And then the children from these from these marriages, these blessed children are of a different lineage they're from god's lineage and so Mm -hmm. if you don't continue the lineage you know if you if you get married to somebody else then uh who's from outside then you've screwed it all up (laughs) and and it's like uh i mean it's ridiculous Mm -hmm. the whole thing is ridiculous but um but and your parents too it's interesting once again that your your parents were urging you to continue in the marriage and make it work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did your mom did your mom approve of him, or was that oh, not even yeah. something that you? No. Could, yeah. And and he got along with everybody in my family, so um, that was that was another part of it. And she's like, "Look, he's really good people, and <laughs> it's really hard to find a good man in this world." So that was her uh-huh. message, and you know, so you have one, better hold on to it, and. Um, Okay, so then when did you, when did you, well, I, I, well, I don't know how to address this. Like, when did you break from the church? When did you leave? Right, so much, much later. Um, and it was, it was really slow progression because, um, right, because this is, this is my community and family and everything that I kind of understood about the way things go. And, and at the same point, it's like, uh, I can stay in this bad relationship for a really long time <laughs> and mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. this relationship with this faith and on the commute on the local level it, church services look like many other church services I mean they're also mm. made to look that way but um and and so you, you there's a there's a huge gap between the local members experience and what's happening at the core of mm-hmm. of the cult and so mm-hmm. um so we were living our lives and raising our kids and it it was really about first we had we had moved to austria we were in in mm-hmm. the u.s and we moved to austria to to settle down and when our when my son started school and um for me 
experiencing this church through the Austrian church, I, I didn't have the same relationships with people. I, we lived slightly away from many of the other, from where the large community is in Vienna. We live uh, mm-hmm. about two hours away. So we weren't involved in, in many of the church activities and, um, and experiencing the language of the church. It just didn't, it didn't hit me in the same way when I was hearing it in German. And it sounds like the, it almost yeah. gave you a little bit of an objective distance. Yes, exactly. And and I was able to to just experience it as a religious experience. And if I and I was going to church and I was exhausted when I came back and I thought uh, <laughs> I, I should feel inspired. <laughs> so mm, yeah. this isn't working. Well, what for was me. that like for your husband? Because it was his language. Um, for him, it was it was the, the local community and the people that he had been he had grown up with, and so mm-hmm. it it was those familial community mm-hmm. ties, and and his family and um, who are also involved, and and slowly um, with with my children, and then when when our third child was born, then I wasn't going at all anymore because I was at home with a baby and. Mm-hmm. Um, and we decided at that point, or I, I said that I wasn't going to do the the dedication ceremony that you do with, with newborn children with our mm-hmm. third child. And I think that was like a big step. And for for my husband and I, one of the reasons why why we broke up during that time years before was because I didn't want to be involved in the church anymore. And, mm. and he did. And so... I was concerned that if I were to push against that again, because he was like, oh, you know, it's fine. Like where we are locally, it's it's okay. Um, mm-hmm. And when it it was um, in September 2012, Moon passed away, mm-hmm. and then his wife and children really started to compete for for his spot. And, uh, and as we watched the, the top kind of implode and fight against each other, bring each other to court, not being able to speak to each other, um, then he too was really ready to walk away from, from all of this. Because if they say, we are the true parents of all mankind, mm-hmm. and yet I can't talk to my child without a lawyer, then mm-hmm. it uh, <laughs> living yeah. is not an example that you can follow at all. And even before that, there was, it was, it was clear that there was difficulties in that family and, um, and so on. So, uh, but really it was about my children because we had started to, the older ones, they were going to camp and, and, and workshops and began talking the talk and coming back mm-hmm. and saying, we are of a different lineage. We're not, um, we're not part of that. And that was, that was where I stood up and I said, I can't, this is, that's not a thing. There's no, which is, it's, it's kind of a full circle because you made the decision to put your children first. Yeah. 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 And that was something that, that's something that you still feel strongly about. It sounds like that was the, the triggering moment where you realized or not moment. I shouldn't try to make it so uh, literary, but that was. Mm-hmm. But that that's was when it changed, yeah. and and it's mm-hmm. like, um, because, right, and even before that, it's true because I had spent so much time uh, in childcare facility, full time, like almost an orphanage, 
while my parents were doing this mission, then for me as a mom, I thought, no, we're going to spend time together. <laughs> and mm-hmm. even if that means rearranging things, even if that means, um, yeah. And, and then to see them and their thoughts. And I knew that pulling them out of the community was going to be difficult for them, but, um, but it was so worth it to me because, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, because this is all just made up. So what is your life like now in terms of faith and community and, and your marriage? Um, I have um, a really, oh, well, so many big questions. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I know, just a few. Think, uh, faith, community, yeah, my, and your marriage. My marriage is stronger because because now we're not, um, it, it's interesting because we came together because we had this faith and then, but now it's really just, it's just about us and um and what we want for our kids and 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 for our lives and uh, as a parent I feel like I've been able to cultivate these really good conversations with my kids and saying mm-hmm. hey I don't know what I'm doing at this point this is now <laughs> uncharted territory so let's just have a conversation and figure this out together and my eldest son is 18 and and then I have a child who's 16 and, and nine and Um, and so I, I feel really good about that. And Mm -hmm. also because we were far, because we were far away from the large church community, then over the last 12 years of living here, I've cultivated these friendships that were based not because we had this secret identity together or because we were special or different from other people, but because we genuinely like each other and we, mm-hmm. we work together or we meet, um, through, uh, the expat community or through our kids being in the same schools. And, um, and yeah, I, I think that these, these friendships, these genuine friendships are, are beautiful and enriching. Did, did that take you any leap of faith or self-talk to come to a place where you felt you as a person were enough, you could trust this community and that people wanted to be friends with you mm-hmm. even though they weren't part of the safety net of people that you always knew? Yeah, that was it was a lot of work and um, a really good, really good therapists along the way. And mm-hmm. um, and also yeah just just having life sort of crash around me like I cannot <laughs> mm-hmm. um I can't hold people at a distance if I'm going to have um mm-hmm. if I'm going to be able to survive here because mm-hmm. uh, because we need each other and so yeah yeah no I think I was going to ask you that kind of leads into one of my last questions for you Mm -hmm. which is well I have two last questions which who knows what will happen where we'll go with this but do you know are you familiar or or do you do you understand the deficits if any that you have because of being raised without your parents nearby you know with these minders or you know do, Mm -hmm. do you do you have areas of connection that are difficult for you or that are extra sensitive for you because of what you missed with your own parents? Uh, yes. And, and I think it's really about, um, and what I've come to, to understand through therapy is, is that first year you, you learn your sense of basic trust. And Mm -hmm. for me that was disturbed. And so it's been such a long journey and I'm still Mm -hmm. working on it just to trust that, 
Uh, right. Just to trust, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> to trust mm -hmm. that if I, if I have a problem, someone will come or, um, yeah. That you're worth it or valuable exactly. enough to, exactly. right? That there's a sense yeah. of value there. And, um, and I think that, that, but, but I have hope that it's, it's possible to rebuild it. And mm -hmm. through my relationships with, with my children, and I would say my husband too, showing up every mm -hmm. day for me for mm -hmm. more than, you know, we're, we're together, right? We got together in 19 and 20 and now we're in our mid forties. So it's, like... it's unbelievable, really. <laughs> That's pretty miraculous. Um, so, so are you in touch with your mom, you know, your um, family? I, I don't know. Is your father still alive? He is. And, and my mom passed away. And mm, um, I got that exactly wrong. I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's okay. And I think that mm -hmm. was one of the reasons why I was also able to fully cut ties with the cult as well, because mm. I didn't have her encouraging me to. <laughs> so now that you're on this journey and you're writing, I think you're writing a memoir yeah. and you're sort of becoming, a, you know, you're, you're voicing your experience. Mm -hmm. Is there anything in particular, you know, we, we covered a lot of uh we covered a lot, but is there anything you'd like people who don't quite understand what escaping from a cult is like or people who enjoy learning about cults but don't have personal experience? Is there anything you, you want to set the record straight about or you hope people understand? Yeah, I, I hope people that I hope people understand that um, that we are very human people who are uh, trying our best to get out of a toxic abusive relationship and it's or spirituality that's part of it and rebuilding this um especially as somebody who was born into it which is really the only experience i can speak of is is mm. that this was the identity that i was given from birth and with the best intentions given to me with love given to me uh, to have a better life and it was it was a scam and it was based on a lie and to come up out of that is um it's it's challenging and it takes time but um i i hope that people see other people like me and and uh and are open to <laughs> maybe being friends because we have to build all these new friendships or <laughs> yeah maybe uh, what do your kids think of it you know our kids have such opinions about our our childhoods and the mm -hmm. stories we tell them do you is it an open conversation in your family about where you started and where you are now yeah and and um i really want them to know that uh where I'm making choices that are different. I think many parents do that. I'm gonna, I want you to have this that I didn't have and, <laughs> uh, and sort of <laughs> filling it in that way. Um, my, my daughter, she, she refers it. She's very clear that, okay, she knows that it was a terrible childhood and <laughs> she'll, <laughs> she'll mention that kind of casually or <laughs> no. yeah but didn't you have a terrible childhood or <laughs> oh my goodness isn't that interesting how how our experience and, and what shaped or broke us or made us becomes sort of like a one-liner or yeah, a shorthand yeah. in other people especially when it's our kids <laughs> I know it's unbelievable isn't it um the other thing I was going to ask you, I'm newer to this community of people who got out and survivors mm -hmm. because of my book. And I, I've suddenly uh, reached out and been uh, 
contacted by so many wonderful people and organizations who specialize in this and who have had firsthand experience. And so to me, this feels like a really growing vital movement. Mm. Uh, We've got so much more. I feel like there's so many podcasts about it and there's a lot of coverage on different shows. Do you feel that it's growing or has it always been there and I just missed it? No, it's definitely growing. And I think that I think that coming out of um, 2020 has been yes. <laughs> really a time where a lot of people are, are saying, okay, this is, I, that was true for me, starting mm-hmm. my memoir during that year and just feeling like, okay, I have to tell this story because mm-hmm. I don't want another person to have to go through this. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I would like to, um, yeah, connect with other people who are coming up out of these things and how are they doing it and learning from each other. And, um there are enormously helpful resources that are so widely available right now. And I think that's amazing because it certainly wasn't available before or I didn't know where to find them. Right. And this is where I feel that social media has been a really amazing uh, net. Like it's just been amazing to find people and and reach out and learn more. And I mean, that's how we connected. I mean, Mm. we connected because of somebody else who said we need to connect. And I found them through social media. So Mm. it's pretty amazing. Um, Lemmy, where can people find your work and and what you're up to and and, and learn about your story some more? Well, I'm from my website, LemmyMarieBauer.com, or you can, they can connect with me on on Twitter at Lemmy Bauer, or on Mm -hmm. Instagram at Writing with Lemmy. Great. And we will, um, I will make sure those, those links are in our posts about you and in the show notes too. And I'm really glad you, you and I were able to talk across the thousands and thousands of miles and the hour difference. And, um, I'm so happy to meet you this way. I hope one day we can do this in person. It would be so lovely to actually see you in person and give you a hug. Um, I'm really so impressed by who you are and I'm so happy for your children that they have you as a mom. And, you know, one of my, my nearest and dearest, um, missions in life is really to make sure kids are okay. So Mm -hmm. I feel for what you went through and what you lost. And I'm so happy you're able to break that pattern for your own children. Thank you so much for being (laughs) my guest. You're welcome. It's, it's been a pleasure and an honor. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to, and then everything changed. For more on this episode, photos, and other episodes you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can connect with me and learn more about episodes on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram also. Just search for my name, Ronit Plank, R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K, and you will find all the updates. If you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe and also rate and review so other people can find it. Thank you so much for listening.